Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. We have an extra special guest today in Rachel Romer Carlson, CEO and founder of Guild Education. Guild is one of the largest and fastest growing private companies in Colorado Tech, having been recently valued at nearly $4 billion. More impressively, Guild is a double bottom line company and has helped thousands of working adults access free higher education through partners like Disney, Walmart, Chipotle, and Target. Many of you know that I had the privilege to work with Rachel early on at Guild and even share an office with her for the better part of six months, so I can confidently say that she is one of the most extraordinary entrepreneurs you will ever meet. Rachel, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, we'd love to hear a little bit about the latest with Guild and how you got started with the company. Yeah, let's see. The latest is 1,300 employees now and cruising to make sure that every frontline American worker has access to education, upskilling, and career mobility. And that last piece is is probably the most exciting since you and I've caught up, Adam, but we're spending a lot of our time, you know, we've always thought of education as the means to the work we do at Guild. We believe that all 88 million frontline workers need access to education and upskilling for this future that's barreling down towards us right now. But education's the means and that ends is career mobility. And so we've got a, a lot of work coming up in 2022 to really expand all of the career services, the integration with companies, internal mobility paths for our students, and also really starting to think about not just our students, but all 4.4 million Americans who have access to us today as Guild members and thinking about how we can support their careers. So that's, that's what we're spending time on. Great. And I would love to hear a little bit about the founding story for those that aren't familiar. Yeah. So started as a research project that I was doing at Stanford Business School and the School of Ed. And I was in a joint degree program across the two and wrote five uh, business plans is the right way to say it, but was sort of agnostic as to whether they became nonprofits or further research experiences or actual businesses. And uh, Guild was certainly the one that gave me the most energy and I started spending time on it and ultimately chose to start the business as a B Corp and raise a venture round. And that was almost seven years ago now. We'll have, I'll have my seven year anniversary on right after New Year's. Amazing. And so Rachel, as someone who has, you know, grew up in Denver and left and then came back and has actually been a big part of driving the tech growth here, we'd love to hear your perspective on just how the tech ecosystem has evolved in Denver over the last five to 10 years. I think it's flourishing. And I, Adam, I don't know if you and I ever spoke specifically about this, but I feel like at the time we did used to talk about this a lot, which is that, you know, five years ago, you could convince somebody to come to Denver and take a job. You could sometimes find somebody in Denver who was capable of doing the job, but there was always this spouse question because you had to have like the two X factor of like, well, can their spouse also find a great job here? Or is their spouse going to get pulled away to another city? And so for those dual income couples, that was always my barometer of like, we haven't quite nailed it where there's enough companies and enough things where people can feel like they can bring their family here or stay and really root their career here. I think we've broken through that wall. I now know just dozens, maybe hundreds at this point of 
awesome couples doing really impactful work, sometimes in tech, sometimes in other adjacent industries, um, who are able to either make the very intentional choice to live in Denver or are now showing up, um, which is really exciting. And, you know, remote work is helping that. But I actually think uh, as one day when COVID's over or whenever we all can just have a normal-ish life again. I think it's going to come booming back in Denver. I don't think we're going to see Denver as a remote work town or a place that has the same level of remote work that I think might persist in places like San Francisco. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I remember going, I think it was about 10 years ago, to one of the maybe Colorado Tech Association big meetups, right? And it was kind of a meeting of the mind of all the CEOs of tech locally. And the big challenge was, how do we recruit executives, right? And it's you don't hear it anymore. It's not, it's, well, now it's still, how do I recruit executives? Not because they won't come to Denver, but just how can anybody recruit executives in this hot talent market? Yeah. Rachel, was there one or two things specifically that, that changed about the ecosystem that led to sort of overcoming that hump of being able to get multiple people here? Well, I think it was a couple of things, but I mean, you guys sit right at the intersection of it. I, you know, I like, I've always loved Denver's startup enthusiasm. I feel like early days, it was really, really uh, wide and not very deep. We had like hundreds or maybe thousands of three people startups or seven person startups or lots of, you know, uh, I hate that term. I hope you guys have a better one for whatever people call when it's not going to be a venture back there. What do people always call that? Like a lifestyle business? Those people wanted to have venture back startups. They just didn't have access to capital. They weren't being coached and they didn't have X factor experience of having you really have to have people on your team who've scaled. And so it's a really compounding problem when a town doesn't have enough people who've scaled. And now that we're starting, I feel like Denver's crossed its chasm, right? And we now have a lot of people who have done that sort of scale work and they are then multiplicative within the next business they go to and the next business they go to. And so that feels um, like one of the big shifts. Yep. And so Rachel, why did you move your company after, after business school from the Bay Area back here to Denver? You know, I have a lot of answers to that question, but the further I get from it, the more I feel like I'm allowed to be totally honest, which is I wanted to have kids. I wanted to live near my mom. I wanted to be able to drive to or get to work, bike, however, we've back for a long time, and not feel like it was 45 minutes away. And I wanted to hire really awesome, smart people and not feel like when I was paying them 100K, they were feeling like they lived below a poverty line in a place where rent was, you know, 3,500 a month. So that's really that's really it. Yep. Yeah. As someone who now lives three minutes from their mother-in-law, I completely resonate with the the proximity to built-in family and babysitters is a big draw. Totally. Totally. And you know, I, I say this all the time, but early days, like you, you can't hire anyone on, on performance. You, you have to show people basically either you should work for me because you've seen me perform in other environments, but not yet this startup, or you like know my heart is good and you know me. And so hiring in a talent market where, you know, a lot of people who were at my wedding were worked at early days guild. Like that helps get big ideas off the ground because there's trust. Yeah. And I think one of the other big things that's helping the ecosystem, Rachel, and you're obviously at the, at the forefront of is we needed role models, right? We needed role models that could go build a big company. And hopefully, you know, I know you're showing other folks at guild of, Hey, you know, this is something you actually can do. You can think about building a multi-billion dollar company, not just a $50 million exit. Cause that's all people saw uh, in Denver, you know, five, 10 years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There is so much of startups is writing your own rules, but it's so much easier to do it when you've seen 10 other people write their own rules. And so it's really hard. Um, and I think we're getting better at that here. 
100%. Well, there's a lot of companies that are up and coming and aspiring to be the next guild. Who's a company that is local that excites you right now? Yeah. So we're thinking about so many different folks we could talk about. Well, I want to talk about a founder because I feel like it's easy to obviously talk about the company. But Liz, who you guys introduced me to, is somebody who I just think is so world-class. Really exciting for me that I feel like Denver is building a great community of female founders too, with Lee and Christina and others who are building really interesting products and companies. But I think Liz is sort of our our up-and-comer who's doing really tremendous creative work. And I'm hoping that there's lots more women founders who are going to follow in her footsteps. You just referred to Liz uh, Georgie from Suna, who by the time this episode will be released, will have uh, uh, closed her Series B. So well on our okay, way. Okay, I'm glad you just said that because I got nervous for a second of like, wait, are we allowed to talk about that or not? <laughs> well, by the, t- by the time this episode's released, it'll be It'll, it'll be, be out. Perfect. Okay, that's why I just got nervous when you asked. I was like, oh, shit. Exactly, have, exactly. Yeah. Great. Yeah, so Rachel, you know, I want to jump into why we're here. You know, through the course of your career in, in building Guild, I'm sure you've learned a bunch of different lessons, uh, but would love to hear what the biggest lesson is you've learned, how you learned it, and how you apply it today. Yeah. So this is fun for me because I've been thinking about having this conversation with Adam for a while. And I called him yesterday and I was like, can we do this on the podcast? Which is I, so when I think about my core values, connection and growth have always been core values. I love learning. I'm a voracious learner. It's not a surprise. I run a learning company. It's very aligned, but something about spending too much time in really intellectualized environments, like undergrad consulting, you know, politics, and then business school, I was really growth mindset I think, about the intellectual ideas and not about the interpersonal dynamics. Like, I basically told myself a story that I, as a founder, am never going to be a great manager. I'm naturally a good leader and I just need to like struggle through it. And if we're successful, I'll manage less and less and less and less. And so I was a really bad manager. I really didn't know what I was doing, but I didn't give myself the permission that I do in other areas of life to grow. And I, it just took like a face down in the arena moment to be like, wait, I'm still living outside my values. I love learning. Why don't I just go learn how to become a better manager? This is doable. I'm capable of this. I ask other people to learn every day. Um, but yeah, the biggest was really just coming to one, the tough conclusion of like, man, I'm really holding the company back by not getting better at this. And two, I can get better at management. Rachel, did you have, you know, one or two specific examples or moments that you now reflect on that were sort of exactly that, that face down in the arena moment that you said, oh shit, I do need to, to work on this now. Yeah, I think there's two sets. I mean, one, I was pregnant with twins and then took a maternity leave in 2018 and leaving a company and then coming back gives you not immediately you're so in a haze like you come back your kids are four months you're like not sleeping everything feels crazy our the we just hit like the first I, a guild i think has had a couple vector points not just like one moment of product market fit but we just hit the first one and signed a bunch of companies and i did i didn't see it all in the minute in the moment but af, at the end of 2018 early 2019 i was like whoa my operating system is not working um, so it's it's not specific and like I can remember this one moment, but it, it was on reflection kind of end of year when you're doing New Year's reflection. It was just like, this isn't going to work. I'm not going to be able to be the mom I want to be and the CEO and founder I want to be if I don't change something. The second is um, last summer, uh, 20, well, summer and a half ago now, 20, summer 2020, like every other company, we were reflecting on diversity, equity, and inclusion issues, but we also had just crossed 400 employees the day we shut down Guild, we acquired a company with another 100 people. We then suddenly had to absorb them fully remote in those early days of COVID. 
that meant we then crossed the like proverbial 500 number. And the rumors are true. Everybody does stop acting like they're on one team after 500 and it gets real tribal real fast. And we had a bunch of turnover. And that was really my like face down in the arena moment. I wasn't sure I could upgrade to the next skill set. But luckily, I like drew on some of the 2019, 2020 earlier lessons of like, no, you can grow interpersonally, like you are capable of this. But most importantly, I actually, I, I called our lead independent board member and was like, I'm not sure I have it for this next chapter. And she really helped me do a lot of really good work to like, find my confidence that I could shift gears to the next, you know, you're just like constantly shifting gears as a founder. It's like, okay, do I have this next gear in me? Do I have this next gear in me? It's it's interesting. And you know, Rachel, you're, you're clearly not alone in, in this in terms of being particularly as a first time founder, uh, struggling to figure out how do I get to that next level where now I'm, I'm more of a manager, right? Um, is, is a part of my, my role. Chris and I wrestle with this all the time and try to help our founders with, with this. Is this something you've seen in other founders and, and shared with other founders that, that you know um, as a peer Oh set? my God. Yes. Yeah. You go in like the, the dark and whispered rooms of CEOs and founders. And I feel like this is all we talk about. And there's the level one, which is becoming a, a good manager. The second is then becoming a manager of managers and then leader of leaders. All of those are like professions in their own right. And so trying to learn how to do each of those while you're also trying to run whatever stage your business is at as you cross those milestones and they look different depending on the headcount growth of each is you know daunting, but it's not impossible. It uh, I I think the only answer is really really good exec coaching and a lot of self-reflection and letting people push you and call you out and give you feedback and then like some good therapy. <laughs> the the yeah. two, you know, specifically the two areas that we see founders um, struggle, particularly first time founders is one, that moment of hiring people that may be more experienced than they are, particularly in certain areas and saying, you know, as a founder, particularly early stage, you have to show your, your investors, you have to show everybody you're like, I've got this right. And to some extent, Hiring somebody who maybe has more experience in an area than you is a little bit of an admission that like, no, I don't have this, but obviously everybody wants you to, to take that leap. And the other one um, is just letting go, right? And, and it's something that a great founder is all over it. And you're certainly that, Rachel, but we see founders just really struggling to kind of let go and give away their Legos as, as others refer to it. Is that something, are those things that you struggled with or was your areas? Yeah, uh, other? yeah totally. Um, yeah. I think on the first, like, uh, this is something that actually investors who happen to be often the early board members, right, can be really helpful with. I also think having a having good independence, join your board as soon as humanly possible. And I waited too long, but I did it earlier than most people. And then I probably even waited too long to then have two independents. But I now know that I did that earlier than most people. So there's this chronic delay that really ought to get nipped in the bud because they are who will help you write that permission slip to say like, hey, we want you to be best at being the founder and the spiritual keeper of the vision and the culture carrier and these things. Or that may be different if you're the whiz kid CTO and you want to like be coding. Like you can you can play to any superhero, superpower as CEO. What you can't do is play to all of them. And when you're not explicit or giving yourself permission to be explicit is when you get in super big trouble because to the second point, you're going to try and hold on to too many things. And so I joke with Beejo all the time, but uh, we had this whiteboarding session three years ago where she was like, Rach, the company would benefit so much if you just spent more of your time and attention on brand. 
I was so mad at her when she said that. I was like, how dare you? I'm Guild Chief salesperson and I also have to do these things. I also, and what the hell is even brand? Cause I'd grown up in politics and we don't call it brand. So I was just like, she's trying to put me in a corner. Today, what am I spending most of my time and getting so much creative energy from? Brand and comms and creative and thinking about our vision. And so there's also just a learning journey of like get, getting yourself in check and checking your ego. And it just sometimes takes time. Yeah. Yeah. Rachel, this, this really resonates with me. And it sounds like you made it farther down the path of, of letting go of some things and, and placing that trust in other people. But I think it's especially hard as a founder, because especially at the start, you have to be the one who solves everything, right? And it's on you to do it. And I think it's hard to, to let go of that. Could you share with our listeners maybe one or two tactical things that, that they could do or implement as they're trying to make that transition? Yeah, I think process is really helpful. And I think it's not a natural skill set for a lot of founders. You think about who the founder personality types are or the Enneagram profiles or you name it, like seven, threes, eights. None of us are process people. Um, but I think having really, really great process around things like role and responsibility remits and you know, sitting down with your leadership team and actually contracting with one another. Okay, what am I the actual decision maker on? What am I just an input on at this point now in my chapter of CEO tenure? What am I emotionally really struggling with giving up to you and why? Let's talk about those emotions. I think that type of work has been really instructive. Um, I also think that having, you know, we, with the chief people officer we have today is a huge part of why I'm successful. She is doing that work with me constantly. And I think there's a huge temptation to treat people as one thing. But in early day startups, you need recruiting and you need like leadership and org design and development. And I actually think we should stop treating those as the same, the same way we don't treat sales and customer success as the same. And I think it should be okay to have two different leaders, especially if you're not ready for a C-suite. Go hire you know, a director or VP of talent recruiting and go hire a director or VP or have them pinch head as your chief of staff or whatever, or COO, you name it, whose job it is to think about how does the leadership team work together? How do decisions get made? How do goals get set? And how do you con- do those social contracting? Yep. Rachel, I think that's a great point. I was actually just talking with one of our companies yesterday that hasn't just raised their Series A that hasn't been announced yet. And they said, we need a a head of people, right? And I said, well, what do you actually mean by that? What is that person going to do? And it's very clear that what they actually wanted was someone to lead recruiting at that stage versus a bunch of the other things. And I think that's a really good point you make is, is people sort of conflate some of those things at the early stage as to what they need someone to do and be great at with it. And I think it's really smart to recognize the difference. And catchphrases are dangerous. Like the, some of the dumbest decisions I've made have been because somebody said some word and the English to English translation, like didn't follow for me, or they emphasized a different part of the syllable. Right. And you like, so that happens a lot in tech and because these words are all made up. What is product marketing? Depends who you ask. And so I think moving from catchphrases to five bullets, like what's the jobs to be done? What are the, what are you actually looking for? It sounds so simple, but when you're flying and you're just trying to recruit people and you're hiring people who are generalists and this, that, and the other, so many mistakes happen when you don't pause and say like, okay, what am I hiring this person to do? Or what is the problem we're trying to solve? Rachel, when you think back, um, this is one of the questions that, that our founders wrestle with a lot too, is what's the right level of seniority to bring in at what stage? And you know, when do you think about building out a manage- management team and, and how does that fit with your own managerial journey, right? If you're a 
first time founder bringing in five C level people day one, clearly not the right answer. You're not ready for it. The company's not. How do you think about that in context of your own journey here? As you and I've discussed, I think I've made every mistake in the book on that dimension. I think, uh, God, what advice do I have other than just keep at it? Um, I, I think the one of the, I'll give this, one of the most painful ones is when you wait so long that not only are you bringing in the leader, you've not given them any deputies. They're coming in and they've got like a bunch of ICs, but you've brought in somebody who's fully capable of being a C-level leader and there's no VP bench and there's no director bench. Like, to me, that has been the worst moments and where I have set my leaders up most poorly has been in those situations. Um, so I think that's one thing to be really mindful of. I think you can't skip. Like you, If you've only got ICs right now, you need to hire a manager. If you've only got managers right now, you need to hire a director. That doesn't mean in a month you don't need to hire the VP, but skipping has been something that I really have regretted. Um, that's a great point. I'm trying to think of if anything else I have that's wisdom other than just the, 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 the counter to that one a little bit is I think what you're saying is true, but you also still need to give that that senior person, whatever that level is coming in, a little bit of discretion to build out their own team too, right? Totally. So this is the problem. It's balance. the catch 22. You're honestly yeah. kind of screwed either way. But it, and this is where hi- hyper growth is so complicated because if you're growing at a linear pace, that doesn't happen quite as much. And some departments actually grow linearly too. So it's not necessarily just the company's pace, but it's actually the pace of what department or area of the biz you're building out. Um, I don't have the right answer on it. It is so, it is so complicated. I think the only other answer is, um, you know, founders, these are all our babies, right? And we like treat these like our babies. I think sometimes giving yourself the permission to say like, not every hire is going to work out, but you can actually talk about that. I think there's instead a lot of sense of like, it has to be secret. You have to try and cover up why it didn't work out. You have to hide it. Like I think VCs and board members can permission that. I also think the community and culture and actually having more startups in town helps too. Like there's a reason people often move around and do two-year stints or one-year stints is because you're making weird equations. Like you don't always know that the two things are going to stick together like Velcro. I don't mean to make an excuse for it because obviously we want everybody to have great career journeys. Um, But I think that actually will get better as the ecosystem flourishes too. I totally agree. Is there anything from your own learnings as becoming a better manager that now you pass on in the manager training um, to up and coming folks at Guild? Yeah. So we brought in um, the Brene Brown management training program, and then we've installed a lot of that into our manager training. But it's this idea that where it starts is you can't manage others before you manage yourself. And I, um, as like a super high achiever who hadn't worked through all my feelings and was still trying to chase gold stars, had really not figured out. And it's not manage yourself like you keep your inbox clean. It's actually, have you done the work to understand your own triggers, your own emotions, your own values, what really motivates you, what demotivates you. And if you if you don't do that work, you actually aren't capable of doing that work with other people. So we allow anybody at Guild to go through the managing self work. And it's also career development for people who are exploring management. But then on the flip side, I and every senior manager in the company, all the senior leaders go through all the programs as well. And so being really clear that management as a, a practice and an exercise, it's it's like running. It's like weightlifting. Like you take, you take time off, you're out of practice. Like it's, it's not a ride the bike kind of thing. You really do have to constantly practice it. And that's something we've tried to normalize. I think it's, you know, the way I think of it also, Rachel, is it's something that like anything else, if you don't come to genuinely enjoy it, you're probably not going to be great at it. Right. 
and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I think you can learn, but you also have to learn to find where your strengths play to, to something you're going to actually enjoy. And then um, the people under you are going to, going to appreciate that as well. Totally. Uh, yeah. It's that zone of excellence concept. And it's really hard to enjoy something that you're secretly telling yourself you're horrible at. And so I feel like it's also, you know, so many founders have such growth mindsets, right? Very, I don't, I meet very few founders who don't hold that as a core value. And so it's just finding a way to find the joy, find the, the thing that motivates you in the pursuit of getting better at management. Cool. Well, Rachel, really appreciate the vulnerability here and, and, and honesty and uh, no surprise that Guild is where it is, it, it is right now with your growth mindset and now becoming uh, an excellent manager as well. Thank you. This is fun. Yeah. Um, where can our listeners follow what you're up to? Oh, fun question. Uh, I'm I'm known to dabble on Twitter. Uh, Rachel, R, or no, what is it? Rach RC. Um, and uh, I'm actually like a pretty big fan of LinkedIn these days. I quit all the social media networks during COVID because it was just boring. But I, I feel like LinkedIn is having its day. We agree. <laughs> we spend a lot more time there than anywhere else. Thanks so much Thanks, for joining Rach. us, Rachel. Thanks, guys.